0: Rico has asked me to sing that song again. We're going to try it. Thank God bless you. You see it. I was born to die, just a sinner in the world, born to die, just another One day baptize me with the Holy Ghost, and now I'm born to live. Think about it. I'm born to live. When kingdoms crumble down, born to. Receive this precious gift And be born again But this time born to live Life is but A tale that soon is told Today a child And tomorrow Old, death is working in you every day, why not choose life, my Jesus is the way, I was born to die, just a sinner in the world. Born to die just another weary soul But the Lord one day baptized me with The Holy Ghost and now I'm born to live Can you say praise the Lord? Thank God that we've been born again Amen. Praise the Lord. When we came into this world, we had the curse of Adam upon us, every one of us. Amen. Because we came of cursed seed. There's only one that ever came into this world that was born of woman into this world that didn't have the curse of Adam. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he did not have an earthly father. Amen. All the blood that's in our veins come from our fathers. Which ultimately, and I know you can do this, you can go right on back to Adam in your minds, because uh, Adam was the father, of course, of this whole generation of people, all nations and and, uh, kindred. But when Jesus came, he had a different father. He had pure blood, precious blood, untainted, uncondemned. He did not come with the curse of death on him, but he came liberated from that. Neither did he ever sin while he was here to bring the curse of death upon himself. Had he of sinned or had he have, uh, had an earthly father, he could not have died in our place. He came completely innocent and guiltless. Therefore, the only one that could have died, the only Lamb of God. Amen. What a precious, precious Lamb he really was. Amen. What a powerful, efficient sacrifice that we had in Calvary. And I, I, I think that perhaps we ought to pay more attention to that and uh, dwell on that more often than than on our own duties and our own obligations and and everything that we need to do to look at what he did amen because in regards of what we did if he hadn't did what he did uh, we'd be in trouble it's impossible amen to save yourself I'd like for you to open your Bibles to first um, Corinthians third chapter Just going to be on was missing, missing one switch there. All right, 3 and 12. Well, let's read the 11th verse. For the foundation, for other foundation can no man lay than that that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And everybody say amen to the word of God. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. It's been a pleasure being here these last couple of days, and and uh, I hope today turns out as well as the others. I've been very happy. In fact, we've had uh, this is the most relaxed week and a half that my that I can recall my wife and I ever ever having. Uh, driving here without any, we left a little early so we didn't have to push. Most of the time we're we're driving all night and and all day and crowding, but we left a little early this time and we've just uh, had a wonderful time and. You, there's nobody knows how to treat folks like they do in the South. And particularly here in Viter. Hey, man, They got everything you need right here. We got a place to hook up our little old motor home and we got uh, everything so convenient. And then here's a restaurant right here that you don't even have to pay the bill and the waitresses they, they figure what you want and they got your plate sitting on the table for you when you get there. Some of the best company in the world. And uh, this is a very friendly, it's an encouragement to be at this friendly church. And uh, when I look and think, what could I contribute to a church like this? Well, Brother uh, McDaniels hadn't left a lot. You know, you go in somebody's garden and, and you can see all kinds of weeds to pull. And and uh, you need to get the spray can out and, and get rid of the tomato worms and I mean, a lot of things are apparent and evident in some congregations. When I come here, you look so good. Your holiness is so approved. Uh, it's just, uh, we appreciate it. And uh, and I look at your faithfulness, and you're here on time, and uh, you're all behaving yourself, of course I know. It may not be, but it looks good to me. And you, you worship freely you can tell that this is the center of the, of your life the church living for god is the hub of your existence and uh so it doesn't leave a lot to preach except perhaps revival and brother townley's taking care of that and so you see it leaves pretty slim pickings for me if i didn't know people as well as i know them and if i didn't know what goes on in our hearts in moments when we're not here jumping up and down and running around if I didn't know that in the, in the middle of the night when things go thump and bump and when your conscience starts talking to you and when eternity looms up and you begin to look at all the things that God's going to be requiring of us, if I didn't know humanity as well as I did, I'd say, no need for me to preach here. But see, I know that there are individuals here today that though you're, you're obeying this pastor, and uh, though you're you're putting everything you have into it, uh, I know that some of us and i don't think there's a congregation going that we won't find some people that have certain needs that we I would like to address some of those needs and it's It's so hard to uh to do it on an individual basis and i I thought of some of the things I said the last two days and various ones have come and told me that uh what they needed uh, gives me encouragement to feel like maybe God will give us something today that you need if I'm preaching to this morning to try to build a reputation for myself as being a great orator or as being someone that's unique uh, that's so silly that's such an ignorant pursuit but if I'm here today trying to give you something that will last you the rest of your life something that you can use Amen. Something that uh, maybe you don't need it today, but you might need it next week. And uh, the, but the majority of us will need it today, though. We've needed it yesterday, and we needed it last year, and we're going to need it tomorrow, because the Word of God is is a constant source of encouragement. It's a constant. It's like the white line on a highway. You get a little confused. You don't know what's happening. The Word of God will come back to you and straighten you out. And that's what preaching's all about. And as I read these verses today, that there's only one foundation, and uh, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's that's the only foundation to build upon. We live out in the West, there's a lot of Mormons out there. And now people have been complaining that I haven't been preaching long enough. Isn't that a sight? Most of the time they're complaining because you preach too long. And my wife's saying, I can't get it. At home you can preach an hour and a half and not bat an eye, and here you're, you're not even going an hour. And so uh, I'll just take a little more time on some of these things. But when it comes to the country I'm living in, I think it's about 30%, I think, was the last count, Mormon. Now Mormons, uh, they're one of the most mixed up group of people you ever ran into. They have their own Bible. They wrote their own Bible. They they say the Bible's all right as long as it's interpreted properly, and, and they're going to interpret it. And if you interpret it, well, you just missed it because you've got to go to their book to figure out what the Bible's talking about. And yet their Bible is such a cheap little uh, replica. It's even in their Bible. Jesus said, how often would I have gathered these as, as a hen gathers her chicks. And it's, it's, it's such a tinny little thing. You ought to read what Mark Twain had to say about them if you want to get some humor out of it. But uh, it's not a humorous thing because there are literally millions of people in the Mormon church that are being and they have another foundation. They've abandoned the apostles. They've abandoned the prophets. They got their own prophets. They got their own apostles. And today they have their own apostles. They have them right there in Salt Lake City, and uh, they they do ignore what the original apostles had to say. They dev- they say they don't, but they do. They ignore it. They've got their own word of wisdom, and they've got a book. I think they call it that. Uh, but. Paul said, "There's only one foundation. If we build on man, it, it's a crumbling foundation. If we build on a, a society or a, a government or any anything that's current and, and looks great at the moment, at uh, time will will eat it up. But if you build on the Lord Jesus Christ, it'll survive eternity. There's no other foundation. But uh, since we." So let's assume that we all agree on that, that there's only one foundation, and the Lord Jesus Christ is that foundation. And if your hope is built on anything else, it's a false hope. Uh, your hope must be built on Him. Praise God. Well, I'll declare. <laughs> I'm for the mean. I thought I heard something over there that sounded familiar. The Lord Jesus Christ is, is our only hope. So we've come to that agreement. Now then, it said that some is going to build on this foundation, Brother Meade, uh, gold and silver and precious stones. And then it went on to say wood, hay, and stubble. And that uh, whatever you build is going to be tried. You will not escape your work being tried. And it's going to be tried by fire. Well, when I look at gold and silver and precious stones, they're not so susceptible to fire as wood, hay and stubble. It reminds you of the little story of the three little pigs. I'll huff and puff and blow your house down. And uh, when I look at these things, I don't like to see money laying
1: around like that.
0: I'll put it up here. First, when it gets it, can have it. It's a dime. It used to be worth a lot of money. That <laughs> dime ain't worth hardly bending down and picking up anymore. And so as we all are, are in this race and we're endeavoring to build something, preachers are wanting to build churches. Individuals are wanting to build families. There are men that's wanting to build empires. There are men among us that would like to build uh, an empire among us. And uh, whatever we're going to build, that we, it has to be built if it's going to last on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other foundation. But some are building with wood, hay, and stubble. And some are building with gold, silver, and precious stones. Now, what I call wood, hay, and stubble, you might call gold and silver and precious stones. And I say you, meaning someone might. And what I might call gold and silver and precious stones, you may say, ah, that's just rubble. That's just wood, hay, and stubble. And uh, I, I was thinking of gold is uh considered an eternal kind of an eternal metal in that it's very noble and it it doesn't mix with other doesn't interact with other metals and materials it's uh It stands alone and there's only uh a mixture of acids was the only thing that'll touch it as far as as uh as you did it any damage otherwise it's it's uh it just doesn't it has an oxidization but it's almost a pure it almost oxidizes with a pure gloss. And so gold is considered uh, to represent eternity. It's a long living material. And uh, gold that Solomon had, uh, it still would be shiny today. Sometimes they dig, uh, they go down and find old ships that had gold bars. And uh, the silver may be pretty cankered, and the copper's already eaten away, but the gold will still be there, just like it was, with the emblem uh, still there. But uh, some things that we can build with, they will withstand the fire. They can resists the heat other things that we build with perhaps cannot and we get into an area that um, you see I left my notes at home so you just have to put up with me the way I am kinda running barefooted here Uh, I can make it without notes if you can follow me the uh, I want to talk about temporal things temporal things and then there are eternal things. Yeah. Oh, I found them. We're in love. But everything, that's, everything that you see with your eye is temporal. Uh, whether it be a human body, that's temporal. Uh, this pulpit, these carpets, these bricks, everything is temporal. The car you drive, temporal. Things that you don't see are eternal. And yet it's so, we're so prone to want to be uh, interested in building with things that we see. Oh, he built a great church. Yeah, yeah, that thing will seat 3,000 people. Really? Yeah, it will. How many people there? Oh, well, he, he's, he's not running real. He's only got a couple hundred, but his building will seat 3,000. Oh, man, he built a great church. Well, he built a big building. And uh, sometimes we hear about a congregation that's running 800 or 1,000. And you go and you look at it, and uh, uh, the women are wearing slacks, and, and they're painting their face, and they're cutting their hair, and they're doing all of these things, and you think, well, he built a congregation. If you look at the temple, if you just look at the, at the things that is tangible, something you can touch, uh, it's, uh, it's temporal. It won't last. But the things that are invisible, the faith, the faith that's in a building, the faith that's in the individual, the faith that's in you today. This is what's going to uh, live and last forever. And so the temporal things are... Um, I, w- I would consider them wood, hay, and stubble. There are, there are men that have doctrines that I consider... Uh, you hear them on the radio. It's, uh, it's wood, hay, and stubble as far as I'm concerned. When the great God from heaven comes and, and he demands an account for what we've done with his word, uh, those things are not going to amount to much. Uh, they pass out little tracts, you know, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There's, no, there's nothing in it. There's nothing about repentance. There's nothing about baptism in Jesus' name. There's nothing about the oneness of the Godhead. There's nothing about holiness. It's just believe and, and you'll make it. And uh, to me, though I do believe in faith and I, I believe in believing, uh, nevertheless, there are things that, that we are to do. And so wood, hay, and stubble. Before I get on today, uh, I hope to show you some things that I consider gold, silver, and precious stones. Gold, silver, and precious stones. Uh, when we look into uh, a, a reading that I'd like for you to go with me now to the book of Hebrews, the ninth chapter. And it takes me a little while to get started, then I just taper off to nothing. That's what one man It was working in our building. I put him on a ladder and had him run a, he was running out a plumbing vent. And I showed him where I wanted it to go and I had the tools and everything there. And uh, he was going to run that little two-inch vent right on out. And I come back by in about an hour and he's still sitting on the ladder. And I looked up at him as if to say, well. And he said, oh, it takes me a little while to get started. But when I do, I just taper off to nothing. And, of course, he's never lived that one down. Amen. All right, in this uh, ninth chapter. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinance of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. That would be, of course, a temporal thing, because that sanctuary is gone. It had a worldly sanctuary. I'm so happy that we have something. We have a sanctuary that's not sticks and stones. We have a sanctuary you can't see with the natural eye, but it is eternal. They had a worldly sanctuary for there was a tabernacle made the first wherein was the golden or the candlesticks and the table of the shoe bread, which is called the sanctuary and after the second veil the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, uh, accomplishing the service of God. But under the second went the high priest only once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of his people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure of the time then present, in which we, uh, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect, as pertaining to the conscience. It was all so earthy. Everything had an odor or it had a texture. Uh, everything in that first tabernacle had, uh, had a color or it had a, a, a shape. Everything was so earthy and carnal. And uh, it was not, of course, that earthly thing was not the real thing that God had in mind. It was only a shadow. It was only a type. It was only something to direct us to the real thing. Because these things stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed upon them until the time of Reformation or Reformation. Amen. That wasn't Martin Luther's Reformation either. Amen. That's when the Lord Jesus Christ came and reformed the whole situation. But the day of things are past. The day that, uh, uh, if you will study your scriptures, Long enough and well enough, you, you will come across the scripture. I, I, I'll tell you where it is, Hebrews 10 and 5. Where it, uh, we, Sacrifice an offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. It was never intended to bring us into perfection. The law and the, the carnal ordinances, the washings, and, uh, and all the things that they did with their hands, with the objects of worship, the building, it never was. God never intended uh, for that to do anything except prepare our minds and our hearts for the real thing that was to come later. Hallelujah. And so it, it's no wonder to us today that we're looking at it, of course, with 2020 vision. The apostles didn't quite get it that quick. It took a while for, for it to burn into their minds. But uh, the, the carnal things and the law of Moses, in fact, the early church had a lot of trouble and they, they had a hard time coming out of the old law and the ordinances and, and, and the things that were required. Oh, yeah, they did. There was a lot of contention over it. Some were even insisting upon circumcision and some were still insisting upon going through certain rituals and rites and shaving of the head and washings. And, and when Jesus came, all of those things became uh, obsolete and null and void in the fact that the Reformation came. He meant the real Lamb of God. The real power of God, uh, the real sanctification and justification, is now here. <clears throat> so, when we uh, in today's world, as we look at, at our services and if we look at our obligations, let's not make the mistake that the early church made. And the early church made the mistake of counting the blood of Jesus as a common thing. And they, they were continually uh, being drawn back to the law. The Apostle Paul hit one of his biggest, I suppose his biggest job was to fight legalism. That's right. If you don't know it, then you just, you need to know it. But he fought those that were continually trying to go back into the holy days and, and uh, the observe, observing the law and the thing, eating things that were not washed and, and uh, eating on, you know, uh, meats that were not pure. Uh, they were still having battles and problems. But they couldn't shift their mind over to something that was tangible, something that was invisible, something that was pure and powerful. They could not leave the thing that they could touch and feel that they were familiar with, but they kept, they, they kept holding on to that. Paul wanted them to turn loose and hold on to the hope that Calvary brought, but it was such a, uh, an awful job for them to do. Years ago when I was just, I, I was just a teenager, and I started working for um, a company that we took dangerous trees down, and we, we trimmed for the, the power lines where uh, the electricity came through, and the trees would grow up among the wires. And, and uh, I was young and uh, had a lot of youthful strength, and so they made a climber out of me, and I climbed high. I'd go up above the power lines and, and do that dangerous work. And we had, uh, I had to learn how to trust my rope you don't just climb like like you know just like a kid in the backyard we're up there working we have got something to do and so we wore a harness we call it a climber's belt and uh we used a 5/8 hemp rope we would uh go to the top of the tree put the rope through a, a good sturdy fork and bring it back and snap it into a D ring and we had a knot that was actually just a just a, a double clove hitch really we call it suicide knot but you could turn loose and it would hold you. And if you wanted to to go down, you just pull on the knot and it would give you slack and you could go down. But I had to learn how to trust that rope or I'd be paralyzed. You can't work if one if you're holding on with both hands. So you have to learn how to tie in and then trust the rope. So my first day up, we was up pretty high, and the foreman was told showed me he seen I was tied in well, he knew I wasn't in any danger. And when I wasn't looking, he shoved my hands away and I fell and I fell into the rope, and I found that it would hold me. And uh, later, I learned to trust it so much that I almost forgot about it. I'd be interested in what I was doing, and I, I had such confidence in that rope. But uh, when, when it took the early church, Israel had a difficult time pushing loose. Uh, they were born, even Peter, when he had that vision up on the roof that day, and uh, the Lord God Almighty said, Arise, slay, and eat. And he fussed with God. He said, No, Lord, nothing common or unclean's ever entered into my mouth. Now, this is God talking to him. And he held on to that old ritual. He held on to those old temporal things, those old laws that God never did intend to be the, the real salvation of man. But they had a hard time giving it up. And so God had to tell Peter. He repeated that vision of the sheep being lowered full with all with all the creeping things and scales and, and things that he never would even touch, much less eat. And so God had to repeat that. And he said, Peter, don't you call it common or unclean when I've cleansed it. Well, Peter didn't know anything about a cleansing like that, where God could clean those those ugly old things that he they were taught not to eat. God cleansed even that. And it, well, what the Lord was doing is preparing him to go down to Cornelius's household. And it wasn't even right for a Jew to go into uh The household of an uh, italian I mean they they were so pure and they had to live up to so many laws that when grace came they just couldn't they couldn't understand it they could not accept it and uh, God was trying to teach them that the invisible things are more precious they' they're gold and silver and precious stone it's the, the these things that are temporal are going to be burned up I know he was talking about our works and our accomplishments, but uh, there are things that are eternal. I mean, when we when we look at our even our own bodies and we look at the bodies of our companions, we're going to fade. But as I was speaking a couple of days ago, the pure faith that is developed while we're living in these kupas. while we're living in these old fleshly temples, there's something that's going to live forever. There's something that's going to survive the storm. There's something that's going to be around when this old world's on fire. Amen. And the heavens roll up like a scroll. These bodies won't amount to anything. But there has been a soul developed. There has been a faith absorbed into our into our daily lives. Amen. That it's going to live on and on and on for eternity. Amen. So as we're building, let's make sure that we build with with gold and silver and precious stones, these things that are invisible. Faith, you can't see it. It's like the wind. You can't really see the wind. You can see the effects of it. And you can't actually see faith, but you can see the effects of faith. And that's, I think, what James was talking about when he said, you show me your faith without your works. It's like, I'd like to see the wind without the grass bending. I'd like to see you demonstrate faith without you. Uh, It'll motivate you. Faith will motivate you into doing right things. But faith is invisible. May God give us, amen, an affinity toward those things that are, in, uh, that are invisible but that are eternal. Hallelujah. And so I want to read on as we're in this vein of reading in the ninth chapter of Hebrews. And uh, we'll get on down to the 11th verse. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. This is not temporal. This is eternal. Neither by the blood of of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify to the purifying of the flesh... There's no question there. There's not a question mark. It did. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to purge to God, to purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Let's go back just for a little bit to the old example. Go back and look at one of the old things that were under the law. It was those things that happened to them, the Bible said, were imposed upon them for our benefit. I mean, like, okay, you, you Jews, you don't know what's going to happen to you, but I'm going to make you do certain things. You're going to be required to do certain things. But well, really what I've got in mind is my bride. I want her to have an understanding. You may you may die, you, Jewish, you Jews in this Jewish nation. will very likely die and never understand what you really did. But what you were doing is you were providing a type and a shadow. You are a schoolmaster to my bride. And if we then fail to get the lesson how pitiful it would be for god to have put israel that nation through so much and then us mess around and not get the uh, the lesson from it and so in the days of israel when people of course there was the annual sacrifice there was the time that once a year as israel were requested to clean their tents sweep their floors beat the rugs clean their their clothes, wash the children, clean their ears, wash the feet, get all dressed up, and stand out for the great day of atonement, when the high priest came and they took the lamb, and uh, that was the day that as they all stood at attention, and the high priest finally made it through all the stations where the blood was applied, and uh, that the the visible presence of God, the shekinah of God in a cloud, would settle down, and uh, all Israel would be watching it from from a distance, all under their own banners and standards. And as they looked and they saw the glory of God settle on the tabernacle, what a, what a delight it was to them to know that Israel's sins had been rolled forward. God pushed them forward. <laughs> we got such a better deal than that. God doesn't push our sins forward. He just takes them completely out of the way. But there they were, just rejoicing that the manna would fall this year. And uh, the rock would continue following them, and they would have something to drink, and that their shoes are not going to wear out, and they're going to have that pillar of cloud in the, in the evening uh, that's going to give that gentle glow, so that they're never really quite alone. And then in the daytime, they're going to have the shade of that of the glory of God as it overshadowed them. Oh, what a wonderful thing it would have been to live in Israel and saw the Shekinah give His sanction on the Lamb, but. Uh, that only happened once a year. But there were other things that when people uh, had a transgression in their lives and they sinned and they, they had bad conscience over it, it was required that they take the proper sacrifice, whatever it might have been. Uh, it was pretty well specified. And uh, as a man felt such a heavy conscience, he didn't want to wait on the Day of Atonement. This was a personal sin. And he would have to go get his little lamb We'll just call it a lamb. There were other things. They could use turtle doves and and different animals. They were always pure. They were clean, considered clean animals. And they would, uh, let's say, took his little lamb, put a little rope around his neck, and he joined the great line of other offenders waiting their turn. Kind of like when you go to the, used to, when you go get your car registered every year. I mean, they'd line up for several blocks and wait, and wait, and wait, and waiting, waiting to get your car registration. Thank God now they've alternated it so that the lines are spread out over the whole year instead of right at the last of the year. But I could imagine at least several hundred ahead of me that day and my conscience bothering me and me and my little lamb waiting my turn, every now and then take a step. And uh, finally, hopeful that, they'd, that they wouldn't go home before I got there. didn't won't carry my conscience another day. But finally get there and, and give my little lamb and uh, tell the priest what sin I'd committed. And the priest said, all right, I so see you brought the proper sacrifice. And, and then I would be required to lay my hands on, on the head of the animal that was to die in my place. And the priest take a sharp knife and uh, the blood at the throat, catch the blood in a little basin. And I was required then and you would have been required to hold on to the head of that little animal till it fell to the ground, and hold your hands on the head of that animal till it kicked its last kick, thus transferring our guilt to the animal that died, and then uh, we could go away, and we would feel, uh, we would feel like we did the right thing. But according to scriptures, our conscience was still alive. It did not take away our conscience. It didn't have the power. I mean, a thinking person could say. I have sinned. Why does a lamb? I mean, the lamb didn't do anything, but we couldn't get the the correlation. And so they it said that it didn't clean their conscience. And God knows we want a clean conscience. If you don't have a clean conscience, you're not a very happy person. Well, there was a a situation that God had in all of that those earthly, carnal things that that the Lord had a uh, a very beautiful thing, and He told Moses and Aaron. He said, "I want you to take." A heifer she has to be red and of course that has a significance uh, red is the color of blood but uh, that's the same color that Rahab's uh, scarlet line was red and red does mean something to God because it does represent the blood and the blood represents the life and uh, the life of Calvary a man was shed for us and so red has a significance and this particular heifer has to have she has to be red and uh, we want you to burn her whole, hoof, horn, hide, teeth, tail, hair, everything on the on this heifer. You you slay the heifer, and you put the whole carcass upon the altar, and you burn it, and you burn it until it till the the hair's all singed, and until it just becomes a glowing ember, and then finally that glowing ember implodes, and it falls to ashes, and the ashes fall through the great work and uh, it's caught in a receptacle and a clean man that would mean a man that was living life and that he himself had already taken care of all of his sacrifices and this clean man of reputation was to um, go and take a receptacle a bucket a jug a jar something with a lid on it perhaps and he was to scoop the ashes of this heifer that had been burned to a crisp, burned to ashes. He'd take the ashes of this heifer and put them in this retainer, put the lid on it, and then that was put back in a safe place. And a man would come in and and he would confess his sins to a priest. And the priest would say, all right, what we have for you. And he would go get the ashes. And he'd bring the ashes of the heifer over here. He'd take a little spoon or something, uh, like a spoon perhaps, and he'd reach in and get a a little measured amount of ashes. Now this heifer died a while back, a month ago, six months ago. The heifer is already dead. This is nothing but the the remainder. This is the residue. And so this ashes would go in water and stir it up. And then you take and dip this into the water and sprinkle it on the man seven times. And so then it cleansed him. According to what we read here, it did do it. It cleansed him. Because it was the word of God. And the Bible said, if the ashes of a heifer cling, clean the, the unclean, if it worked, how much more? Much more. How much more? Or the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is the part I'd I'd like to bring out. This is what I call gold and silver and precious stone. This lasts. Uh, The old crock that they had the ashes of the heifer in is gone. The old altar that they burned the heifer on, it's gone. We don't know where the Ark of the Covenant is. It's gone. Those things were all temporal. They're gone. And even the cross that Jesus died on, as far as we know, it's gone. The hill's still there somewhere, but the blood that ran from his veins down and, uh, as it were, puddled and turned the earth dark, that's long gone. You can't go over there and find, you can't find a little bit of, of blood. It's gone. The blood's gone. The cross is gone. Everything's gone. It's all temporal. It's all gone. But the residue... And so the point we want to bring in the ashes of heifer was that the residue of the heifer that was burned is here in this little bucket. This is, you know what residue, it's the thing that was left over. It's the, this is the remains. This is all we have left. What, what did it represent? Well, there was a day that an innocent heifer laid up there and the smoke curled and it it covered out, and maybe a a stench of burned hair and smoking bones, and and the whole congregation of Israel could say, what's going on up at the temple today? Oh, they're burning the heifer. And so everybody remembers that a heifer died for them. And then when the ashes come out, the ashes remind us of a burned heifer. And it brings to our mind's eye, there was a death it brings to our mind and our remembrance that it was a worthy death. It was a proper animal. It was a red heifer. It was exactly what God ordered. And what are we looking at now? We're looking at the ashes. What's what's the significance of it? It's the residue of the thing that died in our place. And so that's all gone. That's that's a thing of the past. That's under the law. How much more with the blood of Jesus Christ So what happens in our day? Well, what do we use? Well, the world says they're building with wood, hay, and stubble as far as I'm concerned. We got gold, silver, and precious stones. We dip with our tongue and with our mind and with our intelligence. We dip into the revelation and we come up with the name. That's all that's left of Calvary. The name all the power and the strength of Calvary was invested in the name you have nothing else you know, I'll tell you how else do you plan to get a hold of it what other area can you touch it you say why by faith by faith in what his name is the medium amen by his name every knee is gonna bow before that name Uh, everything that's done in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. On the day of Pentecost when Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, that's what he left for us. That's the residue of Calvary. And it's powerful. It bears all the strength and the power that the blood had. Do we have the blood? No, we have the name. Do we have the red heifer? No, we had its ashes. But that's that's a thing of the past, and so into this water your pasture will go. I see it's full too. That's good. Hope some child don't fall in there and drown, though. I looked in Brother Gilmer's the other day, and he had a little water out right in the bottom, and there was a great big old scorpion in there. Had fallen in there and drowned. And there's there's more than scorpions in there when we get out of there. I suppose we leave it all behind. But your pasture will take. And he dips with his knowledge and with his tongue and with his vocabulary with a faith. And he reaches and he gets the name of Jesus. And he puts it in the water. Turning that whole baptistry into the blood of Jesus Christ by faith. Hallelujah. And what... Now, I, you know, I'm not trying to build a sermon and just be a sermonizer. I'm talking about facts. I'm talking about eternal things. Things that in the middle of the night, when you get a little bit worried about heaven or hell... You just remember. I remember it. I think of it so many times. I can still hear the water running in that, that little old baptistry. That little half-inch pipe. They turned it on just about the time church started. Splash, splash, splash. It took forever to get two inches in there. I wondered if it was ever going to fill up. It finally got enough that they could get me down in it. But I remember the name of Jesus. I remember it so clearly. And you know what? I can still hear the sound of that today in the name of Jesus. I remember this. this boy, 13 years old. I remember it plainly. I went down. Amen. what happened? All the power. Found as, you know, as, as understanding and as confident as he likes. But when it comes time to die, I want to know, amen, that the, ash, not the ashes of a heifer, but the residue of Calvary is in my life. Jesus' name, baptism is not something for us just to be right and fuss about. I mean, we we can win all the arguments. We believe in Jesus' name, baptism. We can win all the arguments. I'm not interested in winning arguments. I'm interested in being safe on that day when my life will be required. And if I have been buried with him by baptism into death, thank God I have a hope of rising with him. Amen. Rising from the grave that he was buried in like he came from the grave. He gave hope to that grave, didn't he? Well, we go into the same tomb. We're buried with him by baptism to rise to walk in the newness of life. Hallelujah. And so the name of Jesus is just as important to our washing, even more so than the ashes, was important to go into the water to wash the, the stained and, and marred Israelite. And if the ashes of a heifer went into the water, and if they washed and cleansed the Israelite, how much more? Lord, oh, I don't know how much more. I don't know how much more. Unlimited amount of more. <laughs> Hallelujah. There's no limit on the power of Calvary. You find me a sin it can't cover, then we can, we can really talk, and talk down about Calvary. But Calvary can, can cover any sin. Say, well, it won't cover adultery. Well, it will. It will. Say, well, then let's all go do it. No. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? God forbid. When we preach grace, you know, grace is the test of the gospel. You know that. If you don't have any grace, you don't have any gospel. If, if Calvary can't save, then what are we preaching? If there's not a washing involved in it, then we're all dirty. There is a washing. Somebody said, yeah, bless God, but that's at the waters of baptism on this side of Calvary, blah, 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 blah. I'm glad that there's a washing on this side of my baptism. You see, I was only 13 when I was baptized. Now, I'll be honest with you, I have really put forth an effort to live a clean life. And I've been very, very careful. And God has kept me from so much. But I cannot, I would be a fool to tell you that I've not sinned since I was baptized. And you will be a liar and a fool to say you haven't. Then does Calvary work on this side of baptism? Do we have to go get the ashes of a heifer to make it work? No, but we use that as our schoolmaster. We reach back and we take the name of Jesus. Now, what does the name of Jesus do? It reminds us of Calvary. There's one thing that ought to be paramount. There's one thing that ought to be great in our minds. Every time we pray, every time we want to praise God or ask a favor of God or ask anything of God, I don't want us to turn into Catholics in our imagination. But if Calvary could somehow be on a high and lifted up, above all the other disappointments of our life, if we could see Calvary. When we're disappointed in our brothers and our sisters, when we're disappointed in ourselves, let Calvary be tall and let it be glorious. Something has to be good. There's enough around us every day to drive us into despair. There's enough to give us a nervous breakdown. There's enough to make us want to say nobody's living it and walk away and quit. But, oh, wait a minute. There's a Calvary. Wait a minute there's the residue of calvary what is it? it's his name Jesus what's Jesus? well if you can't think of it any other way just think of somebody dipping the the ashes of a heifer and putting it in water it worked we got something better than that we don't have to dash back and open the cupboard and hope it's not empty have to kill another heifer oh no there'll never be another lamb that has to die there remaineth no more sacrifice there's nothing else has to die Amen. It's forever there. The residue of Calvary is within that close to every one of us. We just have faith in His name. I'm not talking about people that haven't been born of water and the Spirit. They have to be born. It don't work for them. But we're in the house of God. Amen. We're we're children. We've already been born into the into the house of God by water and the Spirit. And and we're just that quick
1: I'm touching Calvary.
0: Well, it's dangerous to preach grace, somebody said. Well, I think it's a whole lot more dangerous not to preach it. And we're hopelessly lost if it's not for the grace of God. Yeah, but people will take advantage of grace. That's what I want you to do, take advantage of grace, not unfair advantage. Because you're really not taking advantage of grace if you do it that way. Now, if you're going to make fun of anything, don't make fun of grace. I, I was riding with, a, with an older preacher. He was, a, he was known to be a hard preacher. If you're trying to guess, there's so many of us that's known to be hard preachers, you'll never guess who it was, maybe. But he started saying something about the grace of God, and I was kind of, he was quite a bit older than I, and this is a few years back. And I looked at him, and I kind of laughed, and I said, when did you start believing in grace? Because he didn't have any grace for nobody. I mean, he was rough on Everybody. And he didn't say anything. I was driving. I looked over at him again, and big tears were rolling down his face. And he couldn't talk. And finally he said, "I started preaching grace when I come to the realization that I was lost without it. I was
1: lost without it."
0: And I said, "I wish you could have come into it a little earlier." save a lot of people out of misery <laughs> he said that uh, yes it's one of the regrets of his life that he said I spent nearly my whole ministry and uh, really didn't believe in grace but he said when it come down to me I, de- I determined that I couldn't be saved without it all of us need it every day of our lives every morning you get up amen we need it we need we need the strength the residue of Calvary it's in his name but it represents every drop of his blood The name of Jesus is more than just a name. I forget who I was talking about. It was you, somebody the other night, talking about that they was thinking about the name of Jesus. Who was that? Was that you? And uh, there's a lot to think about when you're thinking about the name of Jesus. When you really get to thinking about the name of Jesus, if it doesn't take you to Calvary, you're not thinking about it enough. But that's the cause. That's the reason he came to this earth. For this cause I came to this earth. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. It's for this reason that I came. There was no point in walking on the sea, no point in raising Lazarus from the grave. There was no point in healing the Syrophoenician woman and giving her the crumbs that fell from the master's table. If it wasn't for Calvary, it, was, it would have all been lost. We'd still be hellbound. Thank God he went to Calvary. Thank God his rich red blood ran for me I'm glad he died somebody said oh isn't it a pity that Jesus had to die yes it's awful that he had to but oh I'm so glad that he did and I'm glad that the residue of his death amen is still available to you and I through his name it's an intangible as far as fingers are concerned you can't touch it you can't see it it doesn't feel sticky but in our minds it is a name that lasts and lives forever And ever and the power is just as strong and rich as it ever has been the name of Jesus thank God is where it all lies thank God for that name and I'm glad we understand that that's the name of God that's the name of the father that's the name of the son that's the name and of course the father is the Holy Ghost so it's naturally the name of the Holy Ghost see there's not but one spirit there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God who's Father of all, above all, and through all, and in you all. There's only one body and one Spirit. Now, if, if God is reputed to be the Father of Jesus, then what was the Holy Ghost doing there? He overshadowing Mary if it's a separate Spirit. It gets real confusing, and it almost gets uh, off-colored to talk about the Trinity. Because we're going to have to admit, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is God the Father of this, or is the Holy Ghost the Father of this? Well, we don't have any problem with that. There's only one Spirit. The Holy Ghost is the Father of that child. The Holy Ghost is God. Amen. Is, is God a Holy Spirit? First, I'll ask you, St. John 4:24. anybody know what it says? It says that God is a Spirit. So we know that. God is a Spirit. Now, I'll ask you, is God holy? Well, everybody says, well, sure, God's holy. Then God is a Holy Spirit? of course he's the holy spirit well then if there's only one spirit he's the holy spirit there's only one spirit and that great spirit dwelt in the body that was born of Mary and dwelt and walked on this earth the fullness of the Godhood was in the lord jesus christ he came in, in in the flesh to reconcile the world unto himself amen and all the strength and the power of his deeds are we can recall them it brings a recollection to our minds when we say jesus most of the world thinks about a babe in a manger. I'll be honest with you, I know all about that. And he couldn't have died if he hadn't been born. But my mind doesn't go, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't home in on the manger. Not that I am against the manger. I'm glad he was born. And uh, it would have been nice if he could have been laid in a nice cradle. But uh, the, the point of it is, my mind goes uh, right straight to Calvary when I think of the name of Jesus. He died for me. That's the symbol of my death. And then my mind goes to that, that uh, tomb that he was in for three days. And the angels roll stone away. And when they come looking for him, said, He's not here. He has arisen. And if we've been buried together, if we've been planted together with him in the likeness of his death, we should be in the likeness of his resurrection. Even yes. all this sixth chapter of Romans. I, I love that chapter. Hallelujah. And these to be is more precious than programs it's more precious than, than buildings and numbers if we're two or three together together you can share this richness and it's just as rich where there's two or three as there are where there's three or four thousand it's just as rich for me when i'm alone and i'm i'm reaching for god and i need i need comfort i need to know that he loves me he doesn't take uh, a a tall tower with stained glass windows it doesn't take bells chiming as somebody's ringing the, uh, you know, the church bell. I don't need any of that. All I need to know is the name of Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's power there. It's been almost two thousand years ago. I don't know how long the ashes of a heifer lasted. They probably used it up pretty quick for that many people. For me. And then they'd have to go get another heifer. Well, we're getting a little low, Aaron. we only got about another shovel full here. Well, we better burn another heifer. Why? We can't be without it. They had to continually renew it. There never was an end to sacrifices. But when Jesus came, that's the end of it. He came once in the end of the world, and he died one time. And there never needs to be another sacrifice. My wife was talking about her, and some of the ladies were discussing. I, I've forgotten exactly where it is. Uh, is, where is, it? is it Romans, 3rd chapter? chapter? It said um, that he that has once been enlightened, the good things to come. And if he falls away, there remaineth no more sacrifice. This, this is such a puzzlement to so many people that if you ever backslide, somebody find that verse for me if you will. Hebrews what? Read it, Brother Mead, would you? You got your glasses on? Yeah, and don't, that doesn't mean abandoning the principles of the doctrines of Christ. That would be foolishness. It means progressing forward from it. The doctrines of Christ. Go on into perfection. We don't just keep rep- just laying that foundation forever. We, we've we we've done that. We're going forward. We're we're heading on. We're not abandoning it. We're marching forward. it's impossible. It? Mm-hmm. It's impossible. once enlightened. Right,
1: All right.
0: No, that's fine you got to remember that Paul was talking to a bunch of Jews that was, that was so quick to slide back into the old rituals. They come in to the to the richness and the truth of the residue of the strength and the power of the name of Jesus, and if they fall away from that, I mean, they lose faith in it. They long for those, those old smoky altars of Israel. They long for the blood running down the ditches, and they fall away, and they, they don't have faith that, wait a minute, you can turn loose the limb, you can swing out on this one, the name of Jesus will hold you. It's impossible to renew them to repentance if they've abandoned the name of Jesus. There's no, there is absolutely no hope under the law. There's no hope under, those, under, under the blood of animals. They're gone. This is wood, hay, and stubble. The only thing that's silver and gold is the invisible faith that we have in the name of Jesus Christ. I actually, I, if somebody wants to bring that over in the modern day and say that if you ever backslide, you can be, never be renewed, that's, that's not right. I, I know people that have uh, really grown cold and fallen away and God dealt with them and they've come back. And so we have living proof that that's not talking about us. That's talking about the, uh, the Jews, of how that they, uh, they're so inclined to go back to the old altars and forsake. They have already been enlightened on Calvary. They've been enlightened on his name. They were enlightened on all of this beauty, and they fell away from that. It's impossible to renew them. There remains no more sacrifice. There's only one sacrifice. There's only one name. There's only one foundation that we're built upon. Let every man take heed how he built it thereon. Hallelujah. I I want to go back to something I'm just gonna name a couple of things that I think are Silver and gold and precious stones. If we go to the fourth chapter of Genesis. Nobody told me what to preach or what not to preach. And so I just wanted to talk on these things today. In the fourth chapter of Genesis, it's um, everybody who certainly knows these stories. Adam knew his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain. And said, I have begotten a man for the Lord. And she again bore his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in a process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the first, or the fruit of the ground, an offering unto the Lord. Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel he also brought of the firstling of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his sacrifice, but unto Cain and to his offering. He had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And we'll go back and read some more of it in a minute. I get a mental picture of this. These, they were not little children anymore, but they were old enough to be responsible for their own deeds. And somehow they had already been taught, otherwise Abel would not have known to bring a blood offering. And uh, we know that Abel wasn't there the day that God stepped into the scene and said, Adam, where are you? And Adam and Eve was hid over here, and had thrown fig leaves together. And God said, "That'll never do." And uh, the the day you eat, you shall surely die. But what mercy did is mercy let an animal die in the place of Adam and Eve. And God took the skins of that animal and clothed their nakedness. And they begin to see the law of substitutes early in the, in the garden. And so God was teaching them lessons that you didn't really die. A lamb died in your place. Well, Cain and Abel wasn't there at that time. But uh, they were taught and they were told about that. And then when they were older, Abel remembered that God wanted a blood sacrifice and Cain somehow didn't, didn't get the picture. And so he went out and he brought his vegetables and he piled them up and he lit the fire and he blowed on it and fanned it a little bit and those old vegetables began to smoke. And the smoke got up about this high. And God looked down at it and he said, I don't want that, Cain. I don't want it, Cain. You keep it, Cain. I can't accept that, Cain. Blow it back down. God. God. You don't want my smoke, God? He looked over there. And his brother was in a little ray of sunshine. His little fire was burning bright. and The smoke was curling right up into the nostrils of God. And God was going. And that smoke was going up. And Cain looked and he saw that God had respect unto Abel's sacrifice. And he didn't want his. And he was choking in the smoke of his own sacrifice. He got mad, angry, wroth. Somebody said that it was that, it, that God rejected it because of Cain's attitude. Well, let me say it this way. Cain's attitude caused him to bring a bloodless sacrifice. And regardless of the attitude, God could not accept a bloodless sacrifice. You know, if God would have accepted a bloodless sacrifice, then he would accept one now. There's no way that he will accept a bloodless sacrifice now. And if he would have accepted it then, It would be hard for him to require it of us now. God has always been consistent. It took blood for Adam and Eve, and it took blood for Cain and Abel. And it's going to take blood now, innocent blood, not our own blood, but innocent blood, the blood of Calvary. And so he looked and he saw that Cain was very, very angry. And uh, this to me is something that I hope... That no one fights me on this because I believe I'm right, aren't And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thou, thy uh, countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Isn't that a fair question? If you did well, like Abel your brother, wouldn't you be accepted? Why did Abel do well? Abel obeyed, Abel did what he's supposed to do. And if you'd do well, Cain, you'd be accepted. It was his action that God couldn't accept because he brought the wrong sacrifice. If thou doest well, will they be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. I want to deal with this seventh verse just a little while, and then I'll be finished for today and hope that, uh, that we can recognize some gold and silver and precious stones from all of this. Now, it has been preached... And I can't say that it's entirely wrong. That if you're not doing well, sin lies at your door. I I can't say that's wrong. That uh, somebody comes and they're wanting to worship God and there's sin in their life. And until that sin is removed, then you're not going to be doing well. And this has been preached this way more than, than, than the way I'm going to be mentioning it to you. And I'm not saying that that is entirely wrong. If you've heard preachers preach, if you're not doing well, sin lies at your door. Don't discount that. Because sin could very likely be lying at your door. And that's why you're not doing well. But I really believe that there was some grace involved here. When God was talking to uh, Cain, He said, if thou, if you do well, wouldn't you be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lies at the door. And this is, uh, not only is this right, in translation, but it's right in principle. If, if somebody gets a translation try to prove something and it goes against the principles of God, then I say they translated it wrong. But this translation goes right along with the principle. And that is that in the Jewish language or in the Hebrew language, the same word for sin and sin offering, there was only one word. You had to take the context to know whether it was sin or sin offering the context of the sentence that was used, the subject matter that was being spoken on. And when that word was spoken, and I looked it up once, and I don't know what it is now, but it was a Hebrew word, and it uh, it meant sin, or it also meant sin offering. And so we could read it this way. If uh, if thou doest not well, there's a sin offering crouching at your door. Now, we'll get a picture of that in a minute. And here's why I think it's more accurate. is because... Try to make the other situation fit this. And unto thee shall be his desire. Now let's read it. There's sin lying at the door, and unto you shall be his desire. Doesn't make sense. And thou shalt rule over him. That doesn't make sense. If sin is lying at your door, and you're going to rule over him, or if sin is lying at your door, and and unto you shall be his desire, that doesn't fit. But let's try it this way. That there is a sin offering at your door. There's a little lamb crouched here at your door. And if you haven't done well, there's a lamb at your door. And unto you should be his desire. Do You want to cut my throat? I'm here. You want to burn my body out there like Abel's? I'm here. Unto you should be his desire. And you should rule over him. This was Cain's opportunity to to do right. But he didn't do it. I mean, he could walk away from that old smoke and vegetables, and there was a lamb crouching there at his door. That was God's grace offering it to Cain. Cain, you don't have to do this. There is a lamb at your door, but you can be hard, and you can be hard-headed, and you can be hard-hearted. You can be angry. You can ignore it, but there is a sin offering at your door. Now, if you can take it, and offer it, you'll do well. But if you ignore it, then you're not doing well. And Cain chose to ignore. He would not take a lamb. He would not join in. It would have been too humiliating. There's Abel over there enjoying the blessings of God, his little brother, and oh, God's blessed him. And Cain says, "I'm not gonna stoop to that." God, if you don't want my carrots and cabbage, ah. He was angry because God rejected His offering. There are those today that are trying to offer up works to God. Lord, didn't I knock on 7,000 doors last year? And Lord, didn't I do this? And Lord, didn't I do that? God's not interested in that. He wants blood. He wants a lamb. If you're not doing well, you know when we come to pray around these altars, if all we can see is us and what we've done and what we haven't done, we're not getting any place We've got to take that offering that's crouching at our door. If we're going to crash heaven's gates, even if we're going to have to have the name of Jesus to do it with. There's nothing I've ever done or nothing that... Uh, now, I, I think Brother Mead is a great man of God. I think he lives what he preaches. But he don't live good enough for this. There has to be a lamb in your life. And if we've got the attitude of Abel amen we're we're going to have the blessings of god we've got the attitude of cain we will not accept the name of jesus christ and the power of calvary we want to do it on our own strength do it with our own ability with our own intelligence with our own determination i think we ought to have as much as intelligence we can muster and i think we ought to have all the, the determination that we can possibly have and all the stamina that we can get but remember that all of those will fall short. There, If you're not doing well, there's a sin offering crouching at your door. I don't know you people. I don't know you folks in here. I don't know who's living, who's not. I suppose everybody is. But uh, probably there's some in here that's that's stumbling and getting on your knees and falling around and having a bad time of it. Some of these boys are having problems in their minds. Some of the girls are having trouble in their minds. And... Uh, There may be some secret sins. There may be some things that nobody knows about but you. And if you're not doing well, there's a sin offering crouching at your door. You can do well. I believe we can overcome. I'm a living witness to the fact you can overcome. And there's a lot of others here that will tell you, no, we overcome. But if God would have took my name out of his book of life, Every time I made a transgression, he'd have wore the paper out of erasing my name. but what he, what he does is there's a sin offering crouching at my door i don't know I don't know at the times that I've, I've reached for that sin offering, and he's been there every time. This doesn't justify a loose living this doesn't justify Minds that are just rampant and you can think on any subject and just as long as you want to waller in that nastiness Of your thoughts and your evil imagination. This doesn't justify that type of thinking But what this does is it lets you know that if you're not doing well You can do well, but you can get angry and keep on doing the bad things and and when a pastor rebukes you You can get mad about it and stomp out and go to hell That's what you wind up doing or you can say Jesus forgive me God renew within me a right spirit, place within me a new heart. Oh God, against thee! and the only of I sinned and done this evil. There's a sin offering. There's a sin offering crouching at your door. So available, so handy, so very convenient. We don't have to stand in line and wait for a priest to hear our confessions. We've got one. The light's never turned out. The line is never busy. Any time of day or night, I don't care how many million people are talking to him, Calvary's strong and powerful and it's hello. Yes, I'm still here crouching at your door. Yes, you can feel it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I've asked you to give me life and you've done it again. Thank you, Lord, for washing my sins away thank you God for renewing me hallelujah there's a sin offering crouching at your door we've been to these old altars and we hear all that all the preaching that's brought on the conviction we feel so bad and we're focusing on ourselves all we can think about to me and how mean I've been and, oh God Lord I know you're unhappy with me and why don't we kind of change our minds just a little bit and say yeah we have been mean and we have been this but concentrate On that sin offering crouching at your door. Concentrate on the residue of the strength of Calvary. All been invested in the name of Jesus. Just call on his name. Oh, you have to have true repentance. Somehow God has fixed it to where the hypocrite can't cash in on this. He's locked it up in an area called faith. Hypocrite can't get it. The door don't open to the hypocrite. Their joy is just for a season, a very short season. But for those that are truly hungry, for those that are truly sincere, for those that are really interested in pleasing God, there's a sin offering crossing at your door. He's there always. The name of Jesus is a very present thing. It's it's just that far away. Jesus. I'll never forget the times, maybe all times I might not remember them, but so impressed upon me is my wife's reaction to when we're in the car or something some danger is Before I can get my foot on the brake, she's hollered, Jesus. Here comes a car running the red light. And instead of saying, Here comes a car, she don't do that, she says, Jesus! Brother, if I didn't see it, I know something's up, and I'm, I'm reaching for the break. But that name of Jesus has been a present help. When we hear about somebody going to the hospital and they've hurt themselves bad, the first thing we say is, Jesus. Jesus. Why? Oh, there's strength in that name. There's power in that name. There's hope in that name. We've been buried in that name. We anoint for the sick in that name. Or oh, for the healing of the sick in that name. Thank God there's power in the name of Jesus. To me, this is gold and silver and precious stone. All these other things are wood, and stubble. Now, we like fine carpets and fine pews and fine buildings and all, but these things, uh, we have to ensure them The fire may get them before, before we get a chance to even use them. This is not the point. The point is we must build a tower of faith. And that tower of faith will stand if the world's on fire the invisible things last forever it's the temporal things that we can see that are going to be gone and when we look at somebody and say oh he hadn't he done great hadn't she done great I don't know I really don't know it's the one that has that power of faith it's the one that the name of Jesus means everything to them it's the one that has confidence in that sin offering that's crouching at the door That's the one that's got something that's going to last. Amen. Hallelujah. Can we all stand this morning? Let's just go to the Lord and ask God to help us to accept this sacrifice. Amen. To love it, accept it, learn to depend upon it, and trust in it. In Jesus' name, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for these hearts that are here, that are hungry, that are sincere, Oh, God, that are here not just for show, but they're here, Lord, because they want to be saved. And we're praying, Lord, that something was said today that we will remember concerning your goodness and your name. Lord, concerning the power that is, is forever strong and will never, ever, ever decrease. We ask, oh, Lord, your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.
1: Can everybody say thank you, Brother Medford, for the good word of the Lord. Amen. Psalms 120. David said the name of the God of Jacob. Defend thee. And strengthen thee. In the sanctuary. Hallelujah. And out of Zion. He said we will set up our banners. In the name of the Lord. He went on to say some trust in chariots. And in horses. But we will remember. The name. Of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm glad I've got a strong tower the name of Jesus that I can run to in time of need Amen let's lift our hands and thank the Lord for this word again thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you for this word oh God let us always remember God that there is a throne of grace God that we can come boldly to with assurance God with confidence that there is a sacrifice God there is a price that has been paid in the name of Jesus, amen, amen, amen. Thank you all for being in the house of the Lord with us today. There is food prepared next door. There's a special place for the ministers. When you go into the gym, uh, there will be a glass door. All ministers, please go through the-